Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Always happy to have someone back on the show. Even more happy when she has good news to share in terms of a growth story in her hero's tale. We're welcoming back Adarupa Gangali, the CEO and founder of Prisms VR. Adarupa, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thank you so much for having me back, Mike. It's remarkable to think back on a mere 18 months ago was the first time you appeared on the show. February of 2021 we will include links to that episode. I just listened to it as prep and it, it was a really great conversation, but I was very much struck by how much you had on your horizon and your roadmap. And then you've had a full academic year to learn from, and now you're just beginning the rollout of back to school for the next academic year with PRISMS. Can you flesh out for us a little more who you are and folks that hadn't heard the first episode, in a nutshell, who you are and how you got things going with PRISMS? As a quick overview of what really brought me to this work, I've been in, in, in public education administration for over a decade before I, I started PRISMS. And what I found leading some of the largest STEM departments of school districts around the country is that we did not have the tools to close the gaps that we were accountable for closing. And that caused us to take tons of shortcuts and get quick wins with drill and kill procedures to get kids past the next test. But we were really failing them in terms of what they needed to go on to contribute and develop a love and a passion to contribute to the mathematical sciences versus just get past assessments in the K-12 system. Yeah. And so that's what really drove me to begin to, to dissect what are, what's really at the root of this failure and how do we build a new world learning solution that solves the problem from the root? Yeah. So in my research, I found that, you know, the top indicators of success in post-secondary STEM are your ability to think spatially and reason spatially and your ability to abstract up from your physical real life problem to create meaning and value using mathematical models. And surprise, we don't teach or develop either of those skills using most of the mathematics tools that teachers currently have access to. So that was the genesis of PRISMS. I started the company a little over two years ago to build a spatial learning platform for core math and science that allows kids to learn these mathematical ideas from real world problems that they embody themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we started with Algebra 1 because that's the Achilles heel of the secondary STEM program. And then we've been rapidly building content, moving into high school geometry, middle school math, Algebra 2, pre-calculus. It's really come from a demand from our schools. We launched to our first 10,000 students across 22 uh, school systems last October. Mm -hmm. And now we're above 80 school districts in the U.S., you know, driving towards about 100,000 students later this fall. So Gosh. it's been a, a, an incredible, incredibly humbling experience to see the reception from schools. And it comes from just a lot of fatigue of failing generations of kids because they simply do not have access to mathematical sense making, given the ways in which different people make sense of the world. Right. And it is one of those things where people will say it's never going to work, it's never going to work until the timing is such that something like this actually can work. And it does sound as though the timing in terms of the maturation of the technology, you brought in folks with game design experience and instructional design experience, and you're partnering with teachers and school districts. It's a really interesting story. And then I always think about Nelson Mandela's quote, I never lose, I either win or learn. It does sound like you've had many learning opportunities, being out in the field, testing shoulder to shoulder with your educators and with your students, getting that real-time feedback, and then 
starting to build those feedback cycles back into what you've built so far. Can you talk a little more about what that experience has been like? Yeah, I mean, this past year has been an object lesson on building alongside your end user. We will be forever indebted to our early adopting teachers and school leaders as we learned the operations of deploying brand new hardware. This is, this, these are spatial computing tools, which means that kids are moving. Yeah. And it's just not congruous with the physical configuration. So simple things like desk and chairs, and where does everything go? Mm. So there's the physical configuration of it. There's, there's just, there's the infrastructure, the network infrastructure, the storage infrastructure of all these new devices. And especially as we begin to scale the devices. And then there's the instructional model, which is how do you help teachers integrate this into their day-to-day right. and use the tools to drive deeper learning and high quality discussion versus what typically happens with ed tech tools where kids are just kind of on it. Yeah. And then, okay, the bell rings. Okay, you got through 20 problems. Great. I'll look at the dashboard and see which things you got right and wrong. But that's not what this is about. This is about high quality conversations based on shared experiences, elevating teacher practice and really training them in the discourse that VR now affords because it's so multisensory. There's so much a child can react to and talk about and describe that it's, it's really been an exciting moment, not just to scale a technology, but to elevate teacher practice, which was not possible given the tools they had before. Yeah. Yeah. And I was struck also with the level of creative endeavor. This is very much a STEAM, not just STEM effort to build these VR experiences. They require storytelling. They require almost show running like capabilities at times to really bring it all together. I remember when we first talked, there was an algebra simulation based on how a pandemic spreads that was helping students learn exponential functions. I was struck by how even without seeing the demo, as you were describing what was involved in building out this virtual experience, it did stay in a very narrative-based frame, and it was something that was really easy to understand. So I don't know if there are other examples as you've expanded into other realms or created other simulations that you think are similarly resonant, but I'd love to hear some of that storytelling angle to what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So we built many, many, many modules since then, and they all follow the same arc of I experience something, I experience the context in the world, and then I mathematize it. Mm-hmm. So in algebra, you know, we have topics across linear functions, quadratics, uh, bivariate statistics. And to give you a few examples, in algebra, in linear functions, you start at Roy's Clam Shop and you're in Miami and he's talking about how the sea levels have been rising and mm-hmm. he's really worried about his shop. And you then get to go to a glacial site and measure the current melting rate of glaciers. There's movement, so you're getting a perceptual understanding of rate of change. And then you get to go into the lab and solve the question, when is Miami going to have a flood risk that'll be severe enough to really impact the businesses on the shoreline? And so everything is highly mission-driven and highly relevant. That's an example from algebra. In geometry, it's very builder-focused. And in right-angle trig, you're in the Himalayas in India building a new elementary school that creates a shaded region across the playground to protect kids during the hottest months of the year. And as they go along, they get to, of course, learn the trigonometric ratios and how they're derived. In solids of rotation, that's the one that's really near and dear to my heart. It's based in California, and it looks into how today real estate developers will likely not build unless there's a 3.7% ROI on their investment. Mm. And so they get to learn about new modular housing techniques and 3D printing techniques that would reduce the cost of building 
that would allow a more affordable rents for people to, as I always say, for teachers to live in the city. The circles module is in Central Asia. And you're with Noor building low-cost yurts, which are circular dwellings for travelers, nomadic communities. And you get to derive the equation of the circle as you go along. And it's really beautiful because kids, so many of our students said, well, we've never really met anybody from that part of the world. And you get to learn about the history and the cultural significance of yurts. And so there's so much baked into these modules beyond the mathematical objective. And that's why kids are connecting and retaining those mathematical ideas better sure. because of all these other parts of their humanities and their sensibilities that they can now bring to a math problem, which it creates much more resonance and much more stickiness. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It definitely captures a lot. And it does remind me recently, I've been talking more about mnemonics like the method of loci, you know, memory palaces where our minds or our, our brains are wired so that we remember things that are situated in places and spaces. And that's why I've been increasingly interested in VR as a place where you can tap into that aspect of how we learn. I've also been struck in your examples about the relevance angle and perhaps the future of work angle as well, where in some cases you're almost building into the algebra or geometry lesson something that is almost proto-work-like? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest objectives at the company is how do we build exposure at the earliest stages of your education for you to really make an agent choice about what you're going to go on to study? It comes from my like years of hearing kids senior year of high school say, I'm going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, or an athlete, and not understanding just the, the broad ranges of applications of mathematical modeling across domains. I mean, we look at Everything from laying sensor networks in, in the deep ocean to looking at being in a 1950s Berlin cinema, seeing how lenses use matrix transformations to distort films. They get to see many interesting applications that they likely would not see in the, either the K-12 math classroom or other subject matter in, in that case. Mm -hmm. And so once kids have gone through grades 7 to 11 prisms in math and science, our goal is that they've seen 85 applications of core math and science across industries, and they're making a far more informed choice about what they want to about what they want to study in college. I, I start getting a little science fiction inspired by some of this stuff. It's almost like a beautiful mind meets the matrix, but in a pro-social math learning K-12 context. If you start seeing the world the way the simulation is designed, there's math behind the scenes involved in all of that. What's it been like working with the creatives and the makers, the gaming elements? You're bringing in Unity designers and folks who really are coming more out of a gaming context and frequently learners rising Gen Z and younger are coming up with these types of experiences as a more central part of their, their personal lives, their private lives. What's it been like building that stuff and tapping into that energy? One of the things that we often say at Prisms is we're actually not game-driven, we're mission-driven. Mm -hmm. We focus a lot on design, but less on game design. So we're not trying to create addictive loops. We're not trying to get you to click on things. That's not what this is about. This is about creating conviction in a problem. And that's done narratively. Mm -hmm. That's done through the story of the virtual agent. That's done through the experience you just had. So that's the purpose and conviction portion of our design. 
The other is VR has to be comfortable. It has to be easy to use. It has to be intuitive. So we put a lot of emphasis and a premium on creating highly intuitive designs because the friction of putting on a headset is still quite high. And we want to reduce that friction as much as possible and make them feel like it's really worth it once you're in there. And the other thing I would say that I guess could be connected to the idea around, uh, around gamification is that we want to create a sense of accomplishment, right? So that you really contributed something, you, you've done something, you're rewarded for those things. But again, though we believe in having the right dopamine hits at the right times to create those senses of joy, we want to make sure that we're not building something that is mirroring what a lot of gamification tools are, which is more around addiction. It's mm. more hollow forms of fulfillment versus meaningful forms of fulfillment, which is I've built a school building in India that is far more important than like a game tactic to get you to click on something or some stars or some colors. And I right. think that that's what I think, what I believe rather differentiates us in, in, in terms of our design. And yeah. the last thing I'll say is we have an incredible a team that's very diverse. Like you mentioned, we have spatial designers. We have folks that have built applications of VR for people to learn quantum mechanics. And so we have folks that have a lot of different schema coming into this work. Yeah. And I think the product has really benefited from the variety of artists, designers and thinkers, educators, content developers that are all at the table as we build this together. Yeah. You have the ability to really change the way people think about using VR in K-12, maybe beginning with prisms. And then I'd love to hear more broadly, you're thinking about the field and the future. What do you see on the horizon? We're building a best-in-class spatial learning program for math and science. The focus right now is to get into every single public school system in the U.S. Everyone, every child should be learning math via real-world problems and movement and discovery. It's not just Title I. It's not just students who have a predilection, we want to make sure that the product works for everybody. Yeah. So right now we have a, we're putting a premium on making sure that the supports for language learners, the supports for students with various disabilities, really making sure accessibility features. It's not just that we've designed with a consciousness around accessibility, but we actually have features for accessibility. And so that's the focus right now. If we're going to get this in every single school system in the U.S. and serve every student, there's still a long way to go yeah. um, on the product itself. So that's where we're heads down. Yeah. We are releasing to all families, tutors, parents, kids at home soon. The release date will be, will be announced in the coming months. But that's going to be a huge opportunity for students to not only learn in this way in school, but when they come back home, mm -hmm. they're able to now with their tutors, with their friends, they're able to continue to use these spatial learning environments for practice, for ongoing yeah. understanding, you know, to engage in new problems. And a big part of that new product that will be launched to at-home users is the Sandbox. We're going to come up with a better name for it, but it's essentially multiplayer. So, it, you know, a tutor can be in there with a student, it can be multiple students. And we're building many problem sets where you can now say, hey, I learned rate of change in school. I'm now going to come home and I'm going to deepen my understanding. And you mm -hmm. can go into the Sandbox pull up problem sets with your friends and get in and start using the same tools that your calculators, your writing tools, your physical models to continue to work on problems collaboratively. That's very cool. When you were talking, I was thinking a bit about some of the hybrid use cases, which become more interesting when it is available in the home. If for some reason a kid or a teacher can't make it into the physical classroom, 
Now in that virtual space, it's more equalizing. Frequently the hybrid experience doesn't quite do justice to folks who are in their homes. I was happy to hear your reference to the universal design for learning constructs that are fundamental to a lot of what's emerging on the learning side and solving those problems in VR is really groundbreaking work and that's important work, but that ultimately opens up some new potential and that's where I'd love to maybe get you looking further and wider afield as we get closer to concluding here. Where are we in terms of the maturity of virtual reality, its readiness to be integrated into our learning universes? How mature is it today? And how do you see it growing and scaling as we head into the rest of the 2020s? Great question. So a couple immediate responses. We started with middle school and high school STEM. We are going to be fast moving into other disciplines. We've been getting a lot of requests for ELA and reading and, you know, how do you create environments where students can kind of go in to see a colony on Mars or go back to see a historical event and then do a free write and write about it and have much deeper discourse. I really believe VR is a discourse tool. I've always felt this about the medium. And so we're going to be pushing into the humanities very, very soon. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've begun a number of higher ed pilots because if kids are learning mathematics in this rich way and then they go into calc B and multivariable and differential equations and it goes back to this highly abstracted method of learning, you're going to continue to see those drop-offs. And so yeah. the goal is to have that pedagogy continue into the first two to three years of college. Yeah. In terms of where we are in the industry, I think it's probably the most exciting time for VR developers. The hardware is fast evolving we talked about last time, the software techniques are there. The business models are now there. Like this is VR's time and it's incumbent upon those of us who have that really strong vision around clear use cases. Now we have to make sure that we don't fall into previous traps that we did before. Of, oh, let's just do the thing we did before in real life. Let's just put it in VR. Right. You're not going to see mass adoption by scaling those use cases. You're going to see mass adoption when people are saying there's no way I can give a child or a student or an employee this sort of an experience and in it with any sort of reasonable scale without VR. Right. And I think that's where we are right now. We have some really amazing people building in the field. This takes me back to when you were talking about the compression you can get in terms of how long it takes for a student to really get the conceptual understanding and kind of break through so that when they go to other elements of applying that conceptual understanding, they succeed a lot faster. You also talked a lot about the power of this data set that gets generated when folks are engaging in a multivariate, multidimensional way through VR. How do you see those things accelerating the growth and unlocking new potential as you continue to roll this out? Yeah, I mean, the feedback systems within VR, I think, is, an, is a really interesting area of research. And We've just begun. We, we've been running hundreds and hundreds of play tests where we see what are the critical moments where kids get stuck. We watch them closely. What do they do? What are the, the sense-making steps you can take in VR that you cannot take on paper or pencil? Mm. Be it types of movements, types of visualizations you begin to create, ways in which you interact with physical models. And we're beginning to kind of institutionalize a lot of that. Our entire hint system is authored right now. Mm. I think creating highly responsive systems and hint systems in VR where you're re-rendering an entire environment, that, that's tough. That's a tall order given the budget constraints of existing hardware. But we're, we're moving towards that direction of what is intelligent, responsive tutoring look like. 
And what is the role of the external tutor outside of the headset that's not in the environment with the student? Mm-hmm. That what sort of support can you deliver through a web-based chat system versus how much needs to be rendered in the VR environment? So there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And I would say that we've now begun to scratch the surface on that. Our first priority was to build, 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 build content and you know get as much interactivity out in the world so we can begin to watch how kids interact with all these concepts in VR. And then now we're beginning to gain a ton of intuition on where they struggle, why they struggle, what they do, and what is the right response mechanism for the educator, the system, as well as the data system that teachers and schools are using to provide just-in-time feedback. Yeah. Yeah. It's really remarkable stuff. Anarupa Gangli is the founder and CEO of a company called Prisms VR doing amazing things, cutting edge work in math education, leveraging new and emerging media. Anarupa, as we close here, any concluding thoughts, messages to take away for folks if they were listening to this show, what should they walk away with? The one thing I'll say is that the way that our children will learn math will be orthogonal to how we learn math. And I couldn't say that about my parents' generation. The way that my mom and dad learned math, I learned math in the same way. Mm. So we're an incredible point in in history where we are fundamentally and radically changing this pedagogical arc versus an incremental change. And I haven't had the opportunity to be a part of something like that in my lifetime. So it's a really exciting time. We're going to have all of our content available to families and kids at home and tutors at home. We're right now, there's such a huge demand for tutoring because kids are coming back anywhere between 18 months to 24 months behind. And we're not going to remediate our way out of this, Mike. We can only accelerate. And you can only accelerate when you're, we're really using new learning methodologies versus trying to cram the old ones at, at a faster rate. So I think the note I would end on is with a lot of excitement for a truly new day versus an incrementally new, uh, different day. Awesome. Amazing stuff. Definitely check out what Prisms VR has going on. We'll continue to track Anarupa. Hopefully she'll line up that third appearance for her refrigerator magnet down the road. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me back again, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's always so good to talk to you. Awesome. And our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.